Well, good morning. Plot twist, welcome to fall. You know, that didn't take long. Uh, we dropped 30 degrees in two days, and you're gonna be, we're going to be stuck here now. And so that's just kind of our experience. You know, if you're newer to the area, uh, we oftentimes see this, you know, on a regular basis. Even though this went a lot longer, you know, this year into this far in October with the wonderful weather. Uh, I wonder if you've, uh, uh, if I could ask you to think about, when's the last time you got stuck? You know, kind of a plot twist situation. Maybe you were, you know, like, I'm hurrying to get to work, and I get stuck at the light. I'm, I, I, I'm hurrying, and I get stuck at traffic. I'm, I'm you know, even let's go beyond uh, something physical. Maybe, like, you're in a career, and you feel stuck. Uh, a few uh, weeks ago, I was in Turkey, and uh, in Turkey, uh, their elevator size is one quarter our size, you know, at uh, hotels. So it literally is like a three by three. And when you have a group of people that are trying to get all the way up to their rooms together, and there's about 40 of us, and everybody's tired, you do what you can to get as many people in as you can, even with the luggage. So um, comfortable would have been one and a half. We put in about four with luggage each time. You know, it's so crammed, you know, in these elevators that, you know, it would close on somebody's rear end or suitcase and you have to kind of suck it in and close finally behind. Okay, we're going to go up to whatever floor we need to. Well, uh, when I got in, you know, with the three other fellas, you know, with me and our luggage, uh, it uh, we pushed the button, doors closed behind us and it went up and then we heard this wham and then we dropped six inches. Okay, now it may have been only six inches, but it felt like 30 feet. And so um, it's something that you, you, if you have told you about before with me. Um, I get very anxious, you know, on airplanes. And it's not because of fear of dying or any kind of stuff. It's more fear of getting sick, especially when turbulence happens, my body responds, and I can't get out. You know, I'm in this tube in the sky. You know, unlike, you know, I don't get car sick because you can always pull over. So it's just something I've, I'm just dealing with, still working through. So basically, this is my worst nightmare. You know, I'm absolutely stuck. I am stuffed in this place. And as soon as we dropped, I literally, I couldn't stop my hand shaking. I turned pale white. My friend's in there. He's looking at me feeling awful. And he says, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. Whatever you do, just don't touch me, you know, right now. And, uh, you know, I, I, luckily I had my suitcases, so I grabbed my anti-anxiety medication as fast as I could, you know, and I'm popping probably too many. Um, um, and, and don't tell the elders. And so, you know, I'm, I'm there and I'm just like, and here's the worst part is uh, two things. One, it instantly got to be a sauna in there. Uh, there's no ventilation you know, in there. And it got so, just to give you a picture, it got so hot in there that the other guys decided it'd be fun to write on the walls because of all of the moisture that was in the room. That's how hot it was. Now, in a situation like this, the reason I was panicking even more is because I know in our country, if you're at a hotel and the elevator stops, the people who work at the hotel aren't gonna be the ones to fix it. They're going to call the person that needs to come who's an expert you know, in the you know, elevator department or the fire department, and they're actually going to come. So I'm thinking, we're, we could be here for hours because we're pushing buttons. We're calling anybody. Nobody's answering. you know. And every time we push, it goes, wham. And we're like, we better stop pushing that button because we don't know how far. Are we at the basement? We don't know what's going on. And so it was the longest 15 minutes of my life. But it was like, it felt like it was going to be three hours because you don't know when the end because you're absolutely stuck. And so all of a sudden, the door starts to open up. And I'm thinking, finally, somebody got wise and manually opened it up, but it was too high. So we kind of had to duck underneath, kind of barrel rolled our way out, you know, um, and realized immediately that we were on the top floor. What they had done is the person who was there actually knew how to help with the elevator, and they had to manually crank the thing, and they cranked it all the way to that top floor. And uh, I have never been more excited to get out of a situation that I can remember at that time. 
And then 30 minutes later, the anti-anxiety medicine kicked in and I was useless for the rest of the night. You know, but that's a whole different story. So anyway, I thought I was gonna be there for hours. Remember, just remember, you know, that as well. And so, uh, you know, for you, have you ever felt that way? You ever felt stuck? You know, stuck in a relationship, stuck in, you know, a marriage even, stuck in a career and an addiction and an energy level and in a situation you find yourself in. You feel stuck. We go through these times in our lives And I want to tell you today, the number one reason that we get stuck relationally is a lack of forgiveness. It's a lack of forgiveness. Nothing will keep you stuck more than a lack of forgiveness. Now, we've been in this series, uh, this plot twist series, Through the Life of Joseph. And last week, we talked about, in the midst of pain, in the midst of our circumstance, that the story isn't over. It's not finished. That we can hold on to that hope. And one of the things I pointed out last week was in Genesis 41, 51, Joseph named his older son Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. See, Joseph thought that he was done with his brothers. He thought, well, those things are in the past, good riddance, not going to affect me anymore because of how much the pain that it caused. I don't have to remember that. And yet that wasn't the case. God had something else in mind. Now, when it comes to us being stuck there's a face that usually comes to mind. And if you think about someone who has hurt you, who has you know, uh, done something that you didn't deserve, uh, it's not very, very, it doesn't take us very long to think of those people. And I understand that uh, like Joseph, you may have blocked that person or that situation out. You may have moved on. Uh, but let's be real. If you just take a second, there is someone who has hurt you in some way, and there's probably someone that, or multiple people that you have hurt as well. Because here's the truth, the closer we are in relationship to the person that hurt us, the harder it is to forgive, the harder it is to forgive. Like Joseph, for you, it may have been years. You might even thought and believe, well, I'm kind of glad. You know, if you convinced yourself to think, I'm glad that my mom or my dad or my friend did that because it helped make me the person I am today. And, and so we kind of see that as a positive, but it doesn't mean that it still didn't hurt And the reality is, I promise you that if you've not forgiven, it is hindering an aspect or relationships in your life. It could be hindering your relationships that you have with your coworkers or employees, you know, based on the pain that you went through with another employee or coworker. It it could be affecting your relationship with your spouse or kids. It could be affecting your friendships or even the ability to have deeper friendships because of your lack of trust of other people because of the pain that you've gone through. It could just simply be infecting the inner you of who you are. So what I want to do is take a lesson from Joseph. And, and, and last week we left off with Joseph being put in second in command. And because it's three chapters long, I'm going to hit sections and kind of give you the background as we go through you know, this together. But it starts in Genesis 42, verse 1. It actually doesn't start with Joseph. It starts with Joseph's dad and his brothers. When Jacob, Joseph's dad, heard that grain was available in Egypt, because now that they've gone through seven years of plenty, they're now into the two years of their seven years of famine, extreme famine in the land that's affected not only Egypt, but in the surrounding communities. So he says to his sons, why are you standing around looking at one another? I've heard there's grain in Egypt. So go down there, buy enough grain to keep us alive. Otherwise, we're going to die. So Joseph's 10 older brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. So Jacob's sons arrived in Egypt along with the others to buy food for the famine was in Canaan as well. 
So you can kind of see, you know, on this map, you know, how far they had to, she had to travel. So they're in Canaan. Canaan is to the right as you're looking in there, and they're heading to Egypt. The reason there's different lines there is because 200 miles would, would have been their journey. And in that day, whether you did it by camel or you did it by walking, it would have taken you approximately a week, a little bit longer to go one direction. So just to kind of give you an idea of how long this is taking and then however long it takes you to get the grain and then go home. Since Joseph then was governor of all Egypt and in charge of selling grain to all the people, it was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where are you from? He demanded. Now you think for a second, you know, that Joseph was truly ticked off just a little bit. Maybe there's some emotion in seeing his brothers, which he had named a son about forgetting his family, and now he's seen them again. Dan, you're reading into the Bible. No, I'm going to prove you there's a lot of emotion that Joseph is feeling in just a second. From the land of Canaan, they replied, we have come to buy food. Now, although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him, and he remembered the dreams he had about them many years before. Remember the dream when he was 17 years of age that one day his brothers would actually bow down to him? This is now a fulfillment of that dream. He said to them, you are spies. You have come to see how vulnerable our land has become. So then he interrogates his brothers, finds some information about them, find them that one brother named Benjamin is not with them. So then he sends them to prison for three days. <laughs> Probably was like, yeah, take that, guys. Just a little bit of what I experienced. You know, I just want you to feel that. And I wonder what he was thinking through those three days. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. He brings them back and he says, okay, if you're not really spies, then the next time you come, or when you come back, you have to bring this Benjamin person you keep talking about. That will prove that you're not spies. And so they're like, okay, okay, whatever. And so uh, he says, yeah, one more thing. Um, uh, I'm going to keep Simeon. You know, I'm going to keep one of the brothers to prove that you're actually going to have to come back. So he's going to be locked up. I'm going to keep him in prison. And, but here's, you know, here's what you need. So they send him off of the grain, but he instructs his servants, hey, put the money that they paid for the grain back into their satchels. Put it, put it back into, into the place that they're carrying the grain. So they go one day back to their father's house and they discover that the money has been returned. Now they're freaking out. They're like, we're already in trouble with this guy. He's gonna think that we stole it, that we didn't pay. What do we do? Well, let's go tell dad about what happened. So they arrive back and they tell uh, um, uh, uh, dad you know, about it. But before they do, I wanna make sure I don't miss this part because I did pass this part. Verse 21, speaking among themselves, they said, clearly we are being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Man, boy, it makes that, that uh, uh, situation in Joseph's life become a little more real, doesn't it? Can you imagine a 17-year-old in a pit somewhere begging for his life while his brothers ate and then decided to sell him off into slavery? That is a painful experience. Verse 24, now Joseph turned away from them and he began to weep. First time, there's the emotion. So then, as I mentioned, you know, grabs Simeon, puts him into prison, you know, sends him back, does all the things that I mentioned, and they get back to Jacob, and they tell him what had happened, and they said, in order to get Simeon back, we have to take back Benjamin with us the next time we go back. Jacob says, no way. Sorry, Simeon, it was nice knowing you. Basically, that's all he said. Like, hey, your son, not, I'm not giving up this one. You know, you ranked a little lower than where Benjamin ranked in his eyes. Then we find out in 43 that, in fact, they do run out of grain again. Because the famine is so severe. And so then they have an argument being reminded, we can't go back. 
unless we bring Benjamin, because we won't come back if we don't bring Benjamin. And remember, hey, Simeon is still there too. Then it says this in verse 8, Judah said to his father, send the boy with me, and we will be on our way. Otherwise, we're all going to die of starvation, and not only we, but you and our little ones. I personally guarantee a safety. You may hold me responsible if I don't bring him back to you. Then let me bear the blame forever. So Jacob agrees, and they head off to Egypt. They see Joseph again. And this time, Joseph says, why don't you tell them to meet me at my residence? So now they're really freaking out. They're like, oh my gosh, he knows. He knows, he thinks we stole you know, the money this last time. And so they tell the servant, hey, this is what happened. We didn't mean to. And the servant says, hey, don't worry. It's all paid for. It's all taken care of. This doesn't put them at ease. You know? So they're sitting there waiting for him to come in. And he comes in, he sees his brother, Benjamin, the only other child born to their mom, Rachel. And it says, then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. Second time. So they serve food uh, and they have this meal. Joseph lines them up by birth order. They're confused. How does he know the birth order? And uh, they get to Benjamin, who's the last in the birth order. And he gets five times the portions that the other brothers have. And so they're like, man, this is amazing. What a great, I can't believe we have this favor. And so they load them up with grain again, except for Joseph decides to have a little bit more fun with them. And he gives them back their money again. And he also puts one of their goblets, one of the, the whether it be a wine goblet or something else into Benjamin's sack as well. And so they're on their way out. And then he tells his servant, go chase after him and tell them that they have stolen from me. So they chases after him and said, how dare you treat my master with evil when he showed you kindness? And they're like, we didn't do nothing. In fact, if you find us, he says, if you find his cup with any one of us, let that man die. And all the rest of us, my lords, will be your slaves. Now the manager says, that's fair, but we're not killing anybody here. We're whoever just has it, that person has to become a slave. So guess what? They search the bags. It's in Benjamin's. So now the brothers really freak out. They tear their clothes as a demonstration of mourning and like what a freaking out moment. And they can't go back home to Jacob. So they head right back into Egypt. So Joseph talks to them and says, okay, hey, all right, I understand. You guys can all go, but Benjamin has to stay, you know, for the crimes in which he committed. Judah stands up and says, please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy and let, my, let the boy return with his brothers. It was a promise he made to his father that he was willing to do the prisoner exchange. And then it finally comes to a culmination. In chapter 45, verse one, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. Third time. He wept so loudly, the Egyptians could hear him, and word of it quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. I bet they were. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was staying there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer. Then in verse 15, then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, they began talking freely. What a crazy story. What a crazy plot twist. Nobody saw that coming in his life. We're going to learn a lot from this story. And I need to be honest with you, this week's message is going to be heavier than the previous ones. This one is going to be maybe even emotionally moving or even triggering for some of you. And I want want you to hang in there as we walk through this together. 
Because I can promise you, for many of you in this room, this may be the most important message of this entire series. And with that as the backdrop, there are three things that we can learn from Joseph when it comes to forgiveness. Now, I want to be clear. Joseph is not the perfect picture of forgiveness. If he was the perfect picture of forgiveness, we'd say, you know what? When you begin to forgive somebody, mess with them, have them suffer just a little bit so that they know what you have gone through and what you feel like from times, and then get to the point of forgiveness. And so people look at that, yeah, Joseph's my dude. Like, no, no. But there are things that we can learn from Joseph in his humanity that we want to be able to apply as well. And the first one's going to sound kind of strange, but the first thing we can learn is this. Joseph wept. Joseph wept. The reason that's important is because he has allowed himself to process and grieve what he had lost, to grieve the circumstance. So many of us are so quick to run through forgiveness that we don't stop, and we don't process, and we don't grieve. For most of us, let's be honest, we like to stuff it. We like to bury it. We like to try to say, no, no, no. yeah, I know that happened in my life, but, but it doesn't bother me. It doesn't, doesn't affect me. I know my parents weren't there. I know that, you know, I got a divorce. I know that, you know, things are awful at work. I know I'm mistreated. I know that I was wrongly accused, but I, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm tough. I'm strong. You know, let me just be honest. Let me just talk to some of you men, you know, in, in the room. Uh, somewhere we were taught in our society, you know, that it, uh, it's not mainly to cry, you know, it's not manly to cry. Yet here we see one of the most godly people in the Bible, and he freely opened up. And you want me to give you another example? His name is Jesus. And he knew the end of the story when it came to Lazarus raising from the dead, and he still was willing to weep. Maybe we need some different role models that we can follow after as well. Now, again, let me be honest. If you run across a man who cries all the time, well, that's just annoying. You know, so we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't want that. But we have been given tear ducts by God for a reason. Okay, we actually have. And it's not just for gals, it's for guys, you know, as well. We've been given tear ducts for a reason. Could it be that part of the healing process that God gives to us emotionally, physically, and spiritually takes place when we actually release through tears? Now, I need to be honest with you. I have a very hard time crying under certain circumstances, and it's because I have hardened my heart, and it's more natural for me to push things down than it actually is for me to let those things out. And so here's my challenge for you, is it's a challenge for me as well. Can you process, can you write down, and can you grieve what you have lost? Can you process, write down, and grieve what you have lost? Now, I know that some of you have buried it down so deep, you know, that you not only have not grieved, you've not even processed it. And some of you are triggered, or you get so angry so often, you don't understand that for most people, anger and bitterness are secondary emotions that's usually related to something that's connected to unforgiveness. Process what we have lost. Think about Joseph. He lost his young adult years. They took his innocence. They took his peace. They took his relationship with his father. They took his people, his land, his inheritance. And he grieved. What have you lost? Secondly, what we see from Joseph in the midst of it all is that he focused on God. He focused on God. I saved this section for right now because I don't want you to miss this. In Genesis 45, it says, but don't be upset. Joseph is talking to his brothers and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Why? What's his perspective? It was God who sent me ahead here, me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine has ravaged the land for two years and will last for five more years, and there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me here ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was 
God who sent me here, not you, and he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. His focus on God was unquestioned on a regular basis. And he forgives his brothers, not because of what they did, but he can see how God used it for good in spite of them. Which is why we can look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that God causes everything, not just some things, everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now notice it doesn't say that God ordained these events or wanted these events to happen, but he can always work for good through the negative things that either somebody has done to us or that we might have done to somebody else. So here's my second challenge for us. Can you process, can you write down, and can you praise God for anything good that has come from your pain, come from your loss? There's some good things that have come in spite of the pain, and God needs to be recognized and offered an opportunity to praise him in spite of and through for the good of what's taken place. The third thing that I think we can all learn from Joseph when it comes to forgiveness is Joseph didn't rely on an apology from his brothers before he forgave them. That one can be hard. Not one place do we see in the Bible that Joseph's brothers apologizing for all they did. In fact, it feels like it's the exact opposite. They can't even speak to him. Now, maybe they did later, but the Bible obviously doesn't emphasize it. See, we keep waiting for someone to come offer something that may never happen, which actually is hurting us and not other people. So I want to dive into this just a little bit deeper because I want to help us understand what is really forgiveness and what isn't forgiveness. Because there's a lot of stuff that's thrown out there, and I want to make sure that we understand what it is and isn't. So let's start with what forgiveness is not. Okay, what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not dependent on the offender saying, I'm sorry. So that's the first thing that we learn, one of the things we learn from Joseph. In fact, um, if you ever secretly, uh, internally motivated by, you wanted to say sorry so you could get the other person to say sorry? Oh, I've done this so many times. You know, hey, honey, I'm so sorry that I said those things to you. Is there anything you want to say? <laughs> nope, I'm good. Well, then I'm not sorry I said any of those things to you. Right? It's kind of like a manipulation tactic. You're like, yeah, I'll say I'm sorry as long as you do it. Because I know I don't, but you need to mean it because I'm the one. Yeah, yeah, we've done this. But forgiveness is not dependent on the other person saying I'm sorry. It's not dependent. Secondly, forgiveness is not saying what someone did is okay. We feel like we're letting other people off, <laughs> off the hook. You know, can you imagine Joseph saying to his brothers, hey, remember when you sold me into slavery? Oh, that's okay. It's not Okay. It doesn't let the person off the hook. You saying you're, you know, for, you're not saying that it is excused you know, for someone to do what they did. Remember, we are motivated to forgive for what it does for us. It sets us free. And we might think we're holding it on because of our anger, upset, or hurt by somebody else. But you understand you are the only one that's suffering or the primary person that's suffering. See, forgiveness, a lack of forgiveness... It's like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. You're like, I'm, I'm, I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm still hurt, and rightly so, but you have to let it go. You're thinking you're punishing them, and you're the one that's hurting the most. Forgiveness is also not the same thing as trust or reconciliation. This is where people get really confused with this one. Because they're like, well, if I forgive them, then I need to be in relationship with them. Absolutely not. 
In fact, some of you have experienced sexual abuse or trauma. You can forgive and never spend another moment with them on this side of eternity. You can forgive them without ever entering into any relationship once again. Again, the process is for you to be set free. Now, in lesser uh, uh, you know, um, pain that you have experienced or trauma, there is an opportunity, there is a hope of trust, but trust takes place over time. And trust needs to be built. Like, like let me give you an example. If, if you're in a marriage, you know, and you don't ever forgive, I mean, you forgive, but you don't ever trust again, good luck keeping that marriage together. Does that make sense? Like, if I tell my wife, you know, all the times, hey, you know, honey, I'm so sorry for what I've said and what I've done. And she goes, yeah, I forgive you, but she doesn't trust me ever again. Yeah, good luck for our marriage, you know, lasting. And many of you have experienced that's the reason you actually head towards divorce is because you did offer forgiveness, but it didn't actually lead to any trust or reconciliation, which does take time. So these are two separate things. So trust and reconciliation, different sermon. We're talking about forgiveness, you know, as it pertains to your relationship with God and you being set free. In fact, here's what I want to do. I want to show you a video of a gal in our church you know, who had a work kind of issue because she went through a painful experience in divorce in her own home and she was hoping for support, didn't get it and the pain that it caused, but noticed how she responded to that pain. Go ahead and check this out with me now. Back in 2013, my husband and I had joined with some others to help launch a church here in Spokane. And we were a part of the leadership team. A husband at the time was really facing his own struggles and things that he needed to take on. We really came to the conclusion to be separated and then ultimately get divorced and brought that conversation to the lead pastor. And he said we couldn't both stay on leadership. The next day, um, his wife had reached out and wanted to have lunch with me. I was really hopeful that I would have somebody, another believer, a friend, someone close to me that could kind of walk alongside this with me. When the conversation turns into, if we knew this is what you guys would be going through, we would have never launched this church. I was shocked and also so angry. I thought that was my last chance to have somebody who could support me and then I was officially alone at that point. For the next year, I was seeking after conversations and I felt like God was just like softening my heart to every person that I needed to reach out to. And sometimes it ended in a positive way and sometimes it didn't. The last person that I hadn't been able to have a conversation with or to fill that closure or peace with was uh, the pastor's wife. I did the last thing that I could think to do and that was to write a letter. Never heard from her. It was June 28th of this year. And I was finishing up a blog. I normally just post it out into the internet to whoever's gonna read it, reads it. But I felt like the Lord told me to, he's quote, post it everywhere. Four hours after I hit post, I got a message from the pastor's wife. It said she had got my letter that she was sorry that she hadn't ever reached out to me, that she was not in a place to receive what was sent to her. And that she was so thankful I had posted that, that I kind of opened a door for this conversation to happen. Our phone numbers were still the same seven years later, so we got on the phone and 
had a FaceTime conversation and kind of got caught up in, on what was going on in life. And we got to pray with each other at the end and no way this could have been done by anybody other than God. And even when you can finally feel at peace and have that freedom, trust and be open that God's still working on other people in other lives and other hearts. It was so amazing just to see the way that that had come full circle. Can we give Amanda a hand for just being willing to share that? <clears throat> it's, it's not an easy thing, but she's modeling that forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a decision, right? Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's actually a decision. Oftentimes, when you do the right thing, when you do the thing that's actually going to set you free, the feelings follow. It usually is not beforehand. Uh, okay, if, those, if that is what forgiveness isn't, and you've seen this whole list of what forgiveness is not, then what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Now, in the Bible, forgiveness is almost always linked to a financial term. Have you realized that? It's almost always linked to a financial term in our Bibles. In fact, if you go even to the most famous prayer, you know, that was uh, recorded in the Bible, the Lord's Prayer, it's Jesus who says in like Matthew chapter 6 verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You see, forgiveness is letting go of what we are owed. And we can, we can imagine that. We can picture that. If somebody owes you something, you are choosing to say, okay, I am letting that payment go. I no longer demand payment, demand payment from what you owe me. And you're, you're letting it go. See, one of the reasons that forgiveness is so hard and so difficult, especially in our culture, is we've embraced this weird idea of, uh, of fairness. Of fairness. Forgiveness feels contrary to it being fair. It's not fair. How, how am I going to let them go of what they owe me? It's not fair. They, they deserve you know, to actually you know, uh, pay for what they have done for me or to me or through me. In fact, uh, there's a person on our staff who told me that she had a relative who literally kept a journal when anybody wronged her in any way, of any age or any of that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh my goodness, that was probably not a very happy person in their later years. She goes, oh, she wasn't. She was awful. And she would remind me, hey, when you were seven years old, this is what you did to me. She goes, I was seven. You know, we got to let that go. But it was, just, it was just eating away at her. And I just thought to myself, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And then I thought, no, actually, it's not, because that's what we all do. We may not write it down, but we do replay it over and over and over, don't we? We process through, and we start thinking, yeah, yeah, they owe me. They, they deserve, or I deserve, along those lines. Now, the question I need to ask you is, how do you forgive truly if you don't know what they owe you? If you just dismiss it and just say you're forgiven. See, making a list and writing down what you lost is a huge deal. And I don't know what it was for you or what it is for you. In fact, if you process through, do you realize what that person did that affected you? Maybe it was the loss or the effect of your childhood. Maybe it was innocence. Maybe it was your trust in men or authority. Maybe it was your reputation. Maybe it was a career. Maybe it was a friendship. It was family that you've lost. Maybe it was innocence, you know, as I mentioned, memories or peace. In fact, you know, I told our, uh, our youth group, you know, especially those who are in high school, you know, that you could see the pain on their faces for the two years they were in COVID and the memories that were lost. 
and that's a weight that they're carrying on their shoulders as well. And so why are they suffering? Some of why they're suffering, the anxiety and the depression, stuff like that, is because of what's taken place and how to grieve and walk through what they have lost and to then set themselves free. You make a list and you choose to release them of what they owe. Let me say it this way. Forgiveness is choosing to trust that God's judgment over their life is enough. To say, I'm not going to take matters into my hands. I know what they deserve, but I'm going to choose to trust whatever judgment, whatever just God that I serve has got that into his hands. Which reminds us that the forgiveness is a process. It takes time. A lot of times it's not a one and done experience, which is why Peter comes to Jesus and he says to him, hey, Jesus, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? You know, in that culture, three would have been like extraordinary. And so he's like, ooh, I'm going to double what I've been taught as a kid. We're going six plus one because seven is a holy number. And so Jesus, he's seeking, he's, Peter thinks he's going to get affirmed here. And, and Jesus says, no, 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 not seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, do you think Jesus is being literal? You know, like 486, 487, 490, 491, yes! I don't have to forgive you anymore. That's not what he's meaning. He's saying it's not dependent on what the person does. You forgive, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive, you forgive, and you entrust that God is going to have judgment in your life. And it doesn't mean reconciliation. It doesn't mean it's okay. It doesn't mean don't forget everything else that we've talked about when it comes to this. It doesn't mean boundaries aren't in place. It doesn't mean any of that kind of stuff. But why do I have to forgive? Some people have said, as I've mentioned to you before, it gives me an edge. Right? I feel like I'm a better businessman or woman because I have this pain I hold on to, and it makes me a little more shrewd in success and that kind of stuff. And that may all be true, but I can tell you it makes you a worse human being. And it plays out in relationships, in those work environments, and in home, and in your friendships, and it plays itself out. You see, bottom line is forgiveness is doing for others what Jesus has done for me. See, the very next story that Jesus goes into with Peter is a parable. And he says, hey, Peter, let me, let me illustrate this for you. <laughs> you know, a guy had an unforgivable amount of money that he owed the king. In other words, no amount of work uh, multiplied by many lifetimes was going to pay the debt that he incurred. So he throws himself at the mercy of the king and he says, please, please give me time. Help me through this situation. And the king looks at him and in compassion and empathy says, your debts are canceled. Not do you have to work off your debt, but they're canceled. They're gone. Can you imagine the, the freedom that this, this servant felt, this excitement to be set free from something he could never pay off no matter how many lifetimes he lived? And his first response as he leaves the king's presence is he sees a guy who owes him 50 bucks. And he says to him, hey, I need my money. And the guy says, hey, you got to give me some more time. I'll pay you, I promise. Give me some more time. He goes, nope, I'm going to throw you into prison because that's what you deserve for the debt that you owe me. King hears about it, a little ticked off. He says, wait a minute. Talk about fairness. Do you realize the forgiveness that I gave to you compared to the lack of forgiveness you gave to somebody else? And for that, you get to go to prison where there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is making a very strong point in which he illustrates in Matthew 6, 14, and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
I agree, 100% with that. That's what we all should be saying, Daddy. We should all be crying out to that. It's fascinating. You know, forgiveness is a beautiful word when we need it, isn't it? But it's a pretty ugly word sometimes when we need to give it. Like, oh, thank you for forgiving me. What? You mean I have to forgive them? Same word. It's funny when it's looked at one way or the other. So as we close, what is God leading you to do in your next step when it comes to forgiving someone? It's funny, as I processed this week, uh, I was talking to my wife, and I said, uh, as I looked at, you know, the aspects of, is there people that I need to forgive, and, you know, do I need to write some things down, and that kind of stuff, and then all of a sudden it hit me, uh, that's not as hard for me to forgive other people. The hardest person for me to forgive is me. See, I know my internal judge. I know my, you know, um, the, the way that I view myself. And the shame that I feel when I do something that I know I shouldn't have done or why didn't I do the thing that I should have done and, and that I start condemning myself. And then I was like, you know what? And I realized that when I do not offer myself the same forgiveness that Christ offered me, that also hinders relationship. Because now I feel more distant in those seasons and times with my wife or coworkers or people because of what's taking place on the inside. And yet who am I? To tell God of the universe that, yeah, it's okay for him to forgive me, but it's not okay for me to forgive me. And maybe that's what you need to do as well. Secondly, it's hard to forgive someone if you haven't received it for yourself, which is why we offer Jesus and his forgiveness on a regular basis. You'll forgive somebody to the level in which you've been forgiven. And if you understand the depth in which Jesus has forgiven you, It gives you so much more power and opportunity to have the strength to forgive somebody else that you don't have apart from him. So we want to invite you as we sing this song, and then we'll go into communion after that song, you know, as we celebrate and remember what he's done. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for our time together. I know this is heavy, and it can be triggering. It can be hard to walk through, and, and yet I know there's people in this room that are walking through this right now, and What does that look like? And so give us your spirit, your wisdom. And if there's somebody in this room who's not yet received you, may this be the moment, this be the opportunity. And if that's you, that you would just simply say this to God, Jesus, thank you for forgiving a debt which I never could pay off. Help me to receive you as my Savior and Lord, understanding what that means, to be embraced by you and to love others as well in the way that you've loved me. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.